Hello, everybody. I wonder what I'm going to call this episode. Is it going to be a rambling one? Oh, probably. That's usually the case with me. Um, in any event, <laughs> I always have such a difficult time with this, but I'm not going to redo this intro. I'm not going to redo this entire episode 500 times. So first thing, I'm not stoned. So it is currently like about nine in the morning on Thursday. So maybe a little groggy. I've showered. I've meditated. I'm ready. I'm ready for this. The question is, are you ready for this? And you're probably like, what? <laughs> Um, so what I wanted to talk about today was where I'm at with episode three and then what I plan to do with episodes one, two, and three, merging them into just one kind of like penultimate episode. I kind of, I, I was on, in a stoner trance and I, I came up with it. I, I did come up with it while I was stoned. Um... I do not think I did a great job of articulating <laughs> what it was that's happening. I'm also trying to not fall into the crutch of constantly going like or right, <laughs> which is kind of my default. This is going to be interesting. This is going to be a difficult one. On top of all of this, I have a day job. I think I've talked about it before. My, my day job is, I, the title is Implementation Project Manager. I essentially work for a software company that runs supply chain logistics for fashion companies. Uh, so you are Prada and you've got factories making stuff for you. You've got stores that you sell stuff. And then you've got distributors like Neiman Marcus, right? That you, see, I said, right, there we go. Fuck. You have people like Neiman Marcus that you would distribute and ship to. Our software handles all of that. And then on top of that, finance. And my job is to take a fashion company that is new to our software and set them up from the ground up. Essentially, I build out their entire catalog. I build out all of their pipelines between like production and design to manufacturing, to ordering, to shipping, tracking. It, it's, a, it's one of those jobs I fell into about six or seven years ago and I just it just kind of clicks I'm not a fan of having the job in in the fact that I love just creating and I love the freedom of not necessarily answering to anyone in particular whereas you can imagine my day job it's all about meetings all day multiple levels of people that have some form of authority and I have to find ways of mitigating through all of that. Not gonna lie, it pays well. 
partly pays well because there's very few people that actually have the the gumption to do what I do. It is fun when I get to meet people that also are implementation project managers for um, competing software like Perfect Fit, Ames 360 is my old job. I'm now with iSync Solutions, which is actually a South African company, um, which is entertaining. <laughs> Lots of fun accents to work with. Any event, the only reason I'm bringing this up is tomorrow, in, in my six-year history, the largest account I've had to manage, which is about 20 employees that actually are going to be using the software day-to-day, six different departments. There's like four to five different software integrations that come in and out of our software. It is a, it, it's been a mammoth undertaking. Uh, it's a project that got delayed. They were supposed to have gone live with the software probably, God, they should have gone live probably about two weeks ago. And even before that, because they were late in signing our contract, they were supposed to go live even earlier than that. So now we're here and now they're going live tomorrow. I'm meditating and doing my yoga and doing my best to remain objective, but it's stressful. So bear with me as I kind of, as I go through this, <laughs> as I go through this, bear with me. And on top of all this, I'm trying not to fall into the same verbal traps I fall into using right and like, and also trying to mitigate the ums, but that that's a, that's a sticky wicket, my friends. That is not easy as I have my, my iced coffee from St. Kilda in Hell's Kitchen. And here we go. The pivoting, I'll be bouncing back and forth. Um, I'm recording this early in the morning because I've pretty much got everyone put to bed for right now as far as where everyone's at before go live. I figured this is a good opportunity to start to really kind of push through. And, oh, a little creak from my boom mic stand. That's okay. So with Charlie Infinite... Oh, my God. Okay, I'm sorry. Let me backtrack. Sunday, I went into the recording studio at Bunker Studios to record vocals with Aaron Casey on one of the tracks we're working on, Thanks for Everything, which is an old track. Uh, Thanks for Everything originally was, I, when I wrote it, um, Roy Flores, a, a New York City-based singer, he originally sang on it. And then we had a falling out. And then from Rent fame, Adam Pascal, he sang on it. And then we didn't have a falling out. It was just, there was some weirdness going on in his life. And I just wasn't really ready to take that dive. And then enters Aaron Casey. And we all know how that went. And then I took a break from everything. It was just too much. Then Aaron Casey came back to me and was like, look, I just want to, 
I just want to record this song. I have this friend that's a director and he wants to turn it into a music video. And that's kind of spurred this entire conversation. So I went ahead, I booked um, my favorite recording studio, Bunker Studios um, in Brooklyn. It's Brooklyn. It's off the Lorimer stop in Brooklyn. So I don't really know where that is. It's not really Williamsburg per se, not really Bushwick. I, my geography with Brooklyn is a little fuzzy anyway. Went in, went in to record vocals. I went in with trepidation just because of personalities. I myself feel a little rusty. I myself in therapy have realized I have a tendency to freak out and feel like I have to posture and I have to feel like I'm the most important person in the room, that my opinion matters. And I went into the studio realizing I just shelled out 800 bucks for a 10 hour day in the studio. I really need to let my ego go and just get the job done. So I went in. I got to work with this engineer named Alex Conroy, who I'm actually a really big fan of. It's interesting because I've been with Crystal Yerez as my audio engineer and mixer for well over four some odd years. And then Crystal moved to LA and then just got very busy with her her other clients. So I don't have a mixer. I don't have an engineer. And where I was always like, oh, well, I'll just do it myself. This engineer, basically, he pulled up the mix. He pulled up everything that was being worked on so far before we laid down Aaron Casey's vocals. And he was kind of like, oh, this is muddy, <laughs> which has always been kind of the problem this has always been the problem I've, I've explained is that I get everything written, I get it recorded, and then I get into the mix phase and everything just sounds like mud. And within like 30 minutes, he was able to scrub out and clean up a huge chunk of just kind of garbage audio, just frequencies that are just clouding everything. Essentially, I overcompress everything, which I kind of figured, I figured was the issue, but no one ever really just sat me down and said, you're compressing too much. And also, I bust too much. So because I have had, had a tendency to take like, I've got like 10 different audio tracks for a cello. And then I'll take those 10 audio tracks and then I'll bus them into a cello bus. And then I'll take all these other instruments, violin one, two, and viola on their own buses. And then I'll bus them again into a string quartet bus. And then I'll take that string quartet bus and then I'll bus them into an auxiliary that's kind of like my mastering chain that goes into my stereo output. And what he, Alex Conroy showed me very easily was just that when you do that much busing, you're actually compressing because everything is getting concatenated into a single stream. And then that single stream is again getting compressed and concatenated into another stream. Whereas if you didn't use buses and instead had everything going to your output and then using groups to mix and balance, then you, you retain a lot of the fidelity you were losing. 
The other magic trick to this is that I've been using 88.2 kilohertz as my sample rate, which has mitigated some of the compression just because you have more bandwidth, you have higher fidelity. But he showed me very simply, you took out all of the buses, had it all going in, and all of a sudden everything opened up. It's just, there was a lot more breathing room. So that was a great technique. Throughout the recording session, everything went really well. Um, Aaron Casey was on his best behavior, which is always really helpful. For the most part, everything kind of stuck to, everything stuck to the plan. He came in, I came in, I, I came in about two hours early, got everything prepped. Aaron showed up, pretty much hit the ground running, laying down, spotting. Um, Alex Conroy was the engineer, so that was, that actually worked out well. It was a little different. Originally, Alex was supposed to just supervise and I was going to engineer, but we quickly realized that I am slow and he is fast and he knows more than I do as far as engineering and mixing. So he kind of took the helm. There was like a part in the middle or not even the middle, like towards, towards the last kind of quarter of the session where I could tell that everyone was getting tired. We had laid out everything I wanted to lay out. And then there was just like this kind of like end section where both Alex and Aaron wanted something, but they didn't know what they wanted. And I kept hearing it and I was not a fan of what I was hearing simply because I think it was just too many cooks in the kitchen, which they all thought was really funny because I just immediately just became very quiet. I essentially just let them air it out. They, they did come up with something. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to use it, <laughs> but they came up with something and I, I was impressed with that. Although I think Alex learned a very important lesson in dealing with personalities in that if you give people too much free reign, especially in a studio environment, it only stresses people out. Remember, when you give someone the authority, even if it's a singer, if you give them the authority in the vocal booth and go, I don't know, what we need something, do something, right? When you do that, you actually stress them out. Think of it this way. I am a pianist, and at the same time, I am a composer, and at the same time, I'm a producer. If someone pays me to go in to record piano, right? I, ooh, I said right, uh-huh. If someone pays me to record piano, I need to focus on performance. But in order to focus on performance, the composition and producer me has to take a back seat. Not all three can be at the forefront. It requires too much energy and resources. Maybe if you're Lady Gaga, but for most artists, we have to kind of focus and then through that focus. The difference is when you're recording at home. When you record at home, you take your time. It can go spread out over weeks. When you're in a recording studio and it's 800 bucks for the day, you just have to deliver. And so it was entertaining to watch Alex Conroy kind of put on his producer hat 
And then Aaron Casey basically just took him for a walk. And then they started to get snippy. And I was like, okay, well, this is good. <laughs> and we got through it. At the end of it, I actually decided to go with Alex Conroy to mix the track. The budget ballooned a little bit more than I was expecting. When I first asked him, like, oh, how much do you charge for mixing? He's like, oh, it's like 250 But then because I booked through Bunker, he, he didn't feel comfortable just mixing on his own because it was through Bunker, Bunker. So he's like, I'd have to like book a couple hours to do some stuff at Bunker. And then there would be my typical hourly rate of 25 bucks an hour. And I was like, blah, blah, blah. So I finally kind of just put a cap on it. I was like, well, I'm willing to spend $600 for a final mix. So don't exceed that, which means I'll probably get a bill for 600 bucks. But I am curious to see what he does. I was a big fan of how he mixed everything when I was in the studio with him. So I do trust him. It's a very different approach than what I have. He's very in the box. He's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mix everything with plugins. Don't use buses. Go light on the compression. He was very surprised. He's like, I've never compressed strings before. And I was like, oh, well, buddy, are you in for a treat? He did mention that he needed, he wanted to spend some time auto-tuning the strings, which I do agree the strings were not tonally in play. Anytime you record an ensemble, especially a string ensemble, it is really difficult if the string players themselves are not cohesive, if they haven't worked together a lot. The the string quartet that recorded this track, this track is from the Everyone Dies Eventually album. And on that track, I know that the string players, some of them hadn't really worked together and there were a little bit of pitch problems. I think the reason it comes off a little bit more pronounced is just that you incorporate a singer and now you've got five different voice structures um, all kind of, they're all, com they're all competing for what is the true note? What is true A, right? What is true A versus five different interpretations of that same note? And that was part of the thing he's going to work on. So, so that was my Sunday. We're on now on Thursday. I haven't heard back yet. I know he said he, the mixer, Alex said he was super busy and he had all these other things. And I, of course, as I do, was like, oh, no, take your time. No problem. Which is true. I am not in a rush. There is no deadline. But I'm also someone that needs constant communication. I just need to know you're there, which is another issue for therapy. It was exciting in that a first time working in a studio through the pandemic, be brand new mixer engineer since I've been with Crystal Gires for so long. Third, working with Aaron Casey, where I didn't really have to do anything necessarily creative composition-wise. The song had already been created. We had already laid down um, the template tracks. I know that there was a bunch of like template tracks that I didn't have from him that he was upset that he didn't have in there, but... 
I thought that was neither here nor there. I feel like if the song was really missing those from what I was hearing, I would have found a way to add them. I didn't think it was missing, so I kind of just went, eh, whatevs. I definitely could see where that would, that as a full-time job, as opposed to working in fashion and supply chain logistics, would be very, I would thoroughly enjoy that. I think that that would be a great opportunity for me. Ooh, even saying that. Sound a little, little like the secret could will it into the universe. It's funny because it's what I've always told people I did for a living. It's always what I've wanted to do for a living, but the actual opportunities to do it for real in like a great studio have been very far and few between. And I feel in my almost like self-defeating tendencies. I've definitely self-sabotaged a lot of the opportunities in the past that I've had. And where I've ultimately, <laughs> coming full circle around on this whole studio session, I feel like I've grown in the fact that when I went in there, I didn't brag. I didn't try to name drop. I think there were a couple shades, right? Oof, see, you said right. There were a couple of shades where I don't know why. I think I just, I was feeling a little insecure. And so I wanted to talk about being a pianist. <laughs> just, there was like a little moment where I kind of was like speaking a little out of my ass a little bit about recording piano for other people. But beyond that, I feel confident that I pretty much stuck to the script stuck to what we were trying to do. It was fun working the, uh, the mix engineer, you know, shared some other stuff with some other artists he was working on. It was very collegial. It, it, it was, it was a great experience all around. I think towards the end or like the little tail end before the end, things were getting a little dicey, but I feel that was because it had been 10 hour or like it'd been like for me, I'd been up for like 12 hours and I hadn't eaten anything, which is my own stupidity. I should eat regularly as my stomach growls because I haven't had breakfast yet. Oh, lordy, lordy. So Sunday's recording session was amazing. It showed me a lot. It showed me where I want to be as an artist. It showed me I do have the confidence to go in and produce and man the helm and let people do what they do best and just kind of inspire confidence. I also see a lot of places for improvement. There are, def there are places where I just, I still don't, I still get those pains of wanting to feel validated, wanting to feel special. And it's just this constant, I have to remind myself I'm the one that paid 800 bucks. I'm the one paying $600 to mix the track. It's what I want and you need to let the ego go. Are you paying $800 so you can impress people and brag or are you paying $800 so you can get your job done and get the best recording? Ultimately the hope and why I'm spending so much money on this track is that I may finally have a track that is as pristine and sounding exactly the way I want it. 
this is part of the stoner episode, last episode, where I was on this tear about how it didn't sound right, it wasn't polished and all this stuff. Well, now I've got a mix engineer who is providing all of that, albeit expensive, but he is providing that. I'm very eager to hear what a true mix sounds like on one of my songs. Because everything's always had this analog kind of muddy feel to it. And now I'm just curious. So so that is that. <laughs> and I don't know how that edit's going to work, but we will try our best. It is a loud day in New York City. When isn't it a fucking loud day? This is very true. So that was 25 minutes of your life you're never going to get back. And now we're going to pivot to finally talk about Charlie Infinite. God willing, I have the energy. Where am I at with Charlie Infinite? So far, I've, I've written a rough draft of all of episode three, except for the very last tail end, the very last scene I still have to write. I have the blueprint, the outline of it. I just have to actually draft it. I've been kind of holding off. Sonically, I've got most of the structure for the um, the music already mapped out. I think I've got it blocked for a full song. So the the goal will be to get the full song mapped, get the full episode written, redo the song in a kind of like a professional polish that is really more for myself, but you know me, I'll put it on SoundCloud because I can't help myself. And then I will get to work on the hundreds upon hundreds of transitions for getting it in and loaded on the actual website. Episode three, we've already talked about it. It's about my three very traumatic experiences for me as a recap. One traumatic experience I discuss is my mother catching me peeing on the wall of my bedroom and throwing, beating the crap out of me and throwing a diaper on me. Uh, another one is with an ex now ex obviously but in a very physically abusive relationship with someone who just like used to pummel the shit out of me and then another event where in my early like I was like 20 not like I was 20 in San Diego and basically two predators lured me into their apartment with drugs and raped me it's really no nice way of putting it. Sometimes you have to rip that band-aid right off. Rape! It wasn't fun. These are the three things I'm writing about in episode three. Clearly, episode three has a very different tone and tenor to the episodes one and two. Although, I think, I feel there is more of a progression. So, episode one was more the world building and all these characters and kind of messing a little bit with tonality. Episode two was a little bit more succinct as far as Charlie, the main protagonist, the people around him, 
and we also started to we also showcase the stories of other people that are integral parts of this entire narrative. And then episode three, a really laser focus on Charlie as a protagonist, the events that cause him to act and react the way he does. The hope, now that I'm not stoned, in explaining, the goal will be, I will do episode three, just like I have done with episode one and episode two. And I will take all of that and I will basically put it out on the website. So you'll have episode one, episode two, and then you'll have episode three. And then episode three will be its own standalone episode. As you read and scroll through, you'll hit the transition point. So the score itself will kind of augment. There are a lot of new, I wouldn't call them new. There are a lot of techniques that I've learned along the way throughout episode one and two. I'm excited to incorporate into episode three. Sorry, these edits are going to be a little bit dicey. So, I'm sorry. I'm also working my day job. <laughs> and unfortunately, in South Africa, this is their, like, late afternoon. So they are blowing me up on the teams. They're like, oh, my God, did you get the integration going? Are you training? And I'm like, yeah, I'm recording a podcast right now. Hold tight. I'll get to you in a minute. Oh my God, if anyone from work was listening to this podcast, I would be mortified. In any event, as I was saying, I get one episodes one, two, and three done. Then what I want to do is create kind of a swirl. So I want to actually take episodes one, two, and three and start to weave the entire structure and Braiding is probably the better word. I want to be able to braid episode one, two, and three together so that they're all three happening at the same time, which will allow me to really showcase the idea and construct of this universe that they live in, that it is so malleable due to Charlie being what they call the failsafe. The universe is a construct of Charlie's mind subconsciously. He doesn't have the ability yet to directly change his reality or universe, but subconsciously you trigger him or poke him enough, he will change it. And essentially what the entire outline of episodes one, two, and three are about is the fact that Charlie's traumatic childhood and events get the better of him. And when they get the better of him, it pokes the bear and he finds a way of, or his subconscious changes reality to create a completely different childhood, which in turn creates a completely different adolescence and adulthood into who he is. The irony is that he's still miserable. And what I'm really showcasing here is the construct of karma that we all are put on this plane, we all are our own reality and our own existence because of past life karma. I know it's well, that's what Charlie Infinite is, though. It is a it's an exploration of what I've learned about a lot of different Eastern 
Middle Eastern religions and spiritual practices, the concept of the Atman, the concept of non-duality. That's really what I'm trying to showcase through all this is that even though Charlie subconsciously completely changed it so that he wasn't even gay, his mother didn't beat him, he wasn't gay, he married his high school, he didn't marry, he dated his high school sweetheart and they're still together, all these things, but he's still an alcoholic. He still has trauma. He just doesn't, like he, instead of going, oh, these terrific events happened to me, now with his trauma, it's a matter of, oh, I'm just worthless. I'm a worthless human being. There's nothing to contribute and that's why I'm here. The hope in braiding episodes one, two, and three together will better showcase how he himself is the one changing his per, his reality and in turn everyone else inhabited in that reality um is also changed that's what i'm ultimately doing the real test in the part i'm a little curious about is going to be beyond that what happens uh what do we do with the music Episode one, two, and three sound very distinct from each other. So I'm very curious to see what happens when I start to braid these three narratives together. And so in braiding those narratives, it isn't so like Gaussian blur where everything is just kind of like blurred into one. It's distinct. Think of it like opening a tub of, you know, cherry swirled ice cream. Sorry, it's a terrible analogy. I'm more of a fan of chocolate. Caramel, right? So imagine ice cream that you've got chocolate and caramel swirls in it. They're distinct swirls. That's what I'm going for after I write episode three and then I build everything together into this swirl so that when you hit the caramel layer, which would be like episode three, it just hits that music. It hits that music. It hits exactly what was written. Obviously, it has to be rewritten, but you know, it would still just be this is that part of episode three, and then maybe you hit back to episode one and the music that correlates to that specific point in episode one, and then episode two, right? Doing this braiding effect to basic to create a new penultimate episode, and that's where I'm at, and that's what I'm trying to do. I would love to talk more about this and go into detail. But unfortunately, my work is calling me and this podcast is already at 35 minutes. I'm discovering that the sweet spot for me, let's be honest, I'm the one listening to myself speak on this podcast. I'm probably the only one listening to myself speak on this podcast. I usually cap out around 35 minutes. Then I just start to get tired of hearing myself talk. Although that is a long... (laughs) long fucking time to talk before I get anywho there you have it I'm just gonna kill it right here motherfuckers I'm sure I will be having more episodes before I even release episode three since episode three is going at a nice leisurely pace because like I said I'm dealing with rape parental abuse abusive relationships. There's a lot fucking going on in episode three. So I'm going to give myself a pat on the back that I've made it this far. I know the direction moving forward. I'm going to be fine. 
it's going to be great. It's going to be fuck fantastic. And maybe in the next episode, I will have something to share from the Sunday recording session. Who knows? You got to stay tuned, bitches. Stay tuned to find out. Do-do-do-do-do-do. Gay news.